Hey, common scientists, we are coming to you this week with a biopic on Ada Lovelace. So we wanted to find a woman in history, and this week we've got an awesome woman in history, woman in science, and we're going to get to hear a little bit about her life, her story, her accomplishments, and then maybe a bit of her controversy. So I'll kick it to Aiden to start with a quote, and we'll dive into a bit of the life of Ada Lovelace. So here's a quote from Ada. The brain of mine is something more than mere mortal, as time will show. And that just, I mean, demonstrates to me the confidence that she had in her abilities uh, and the confidence that she had in her abilities in science and math and computer science more specifically. And Ada was one ahead of her time. She was uh, born in the Industrial Revolution when Queen Victoria takes to the throne. And she's known in particular for having published the first computer program but before that, uh, it took her uh, lots of practice to get to that point. So she was born uh, as the only son, or only daughter, sorry, to Lord Byron. And he's a famous controversial poet. Uh, he was known for all sorts of wild and wacky. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to restart? No, I'm a, what do you mean? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> What do you mean? I'm just laughing. I'm a big Lord Byron fan. So You're a big Lord Byron yeah, fan. He's a controversial guy. And it's <laughs> honestly fine that you said son because uh, history shows that she or he. See now I'm doing it. <laughs> that that he Lord Byron wanted a son, and mm. like so much so that he was quite distraught. It seems that my reading showed me when he found out that he had a daughter instead. So, if we screw up our pronouns. It's, it's probably a little okay, uh, maybe not, but uh, in the context of the story that Lord Byron wanted a son and then out came Ada Lovelace, but I think uh, despite his death earlier in her life, she probably exceeded his wildest expectations. Yeah, that is kind of bizarre because it's like, she had to have been everything he could have ever asked for, right? I, I think he died when she was like seven or something like that. Yeah, she, seven or eight. He abandoned yeah, her like young. when she was just a couple months old and never really knew her. But it's just like how, like if you wanted a son, like for what? So that he could be like a super famous math magician or mathematician and all that stuff. Like exactly what Ada Lovelace was or like what was the point of that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is, it is quite remarkable. It's funny one thing that you do say about the mathematician thing i don't know i don't know if she would have been such a mathematician if he had stuck around because he ended up like dre said uh getting out of the picture when she was a five-week-old baby and uh she's his only legitimate daughter and after uh he left her mother was the one that was key in driving a lot of her math and science abilities. She was uh, apparently pretty kind of, I mean, anti-Lord Byron after that fact and, and wanted to, uh, ha it seems to me, hammer out some of the, the poetry that was mm -hmm. running through his mind uh, from her mind. But uh, as we do see, she, I mean, her kind of like art and science background definitely plays a role in her her forward thinking abilities. Uh, Dre, I'm, I'm just curious. You said you're a fan of Lord Byron. Why is that? I just think he's an interesting character. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know yeah. I mean, he's obviously like this escapading philander and all that stuff, which is, it's not that I necessarily 
agree with womanizing, but it's not that necessarily disagree with it as well. It depends on how you, what you're talking about, right? If you're just mm-hmm. saying like sleeping around, it's like, well, a woman can sleep around, a man can sleep around, a lot of people can sleep around, but it depends on kind of how you're looking at it now with him abandoning his daughter and then abandoning his wife. That's all about, yeah, like, yeah, like, what's up? What's what you doing? I got it. Right. You know, I didn't know all, all details about him <laughs> yeah. before I became a fan. I just knew he had a couple of fire poems. And I was, I was you know, <laughs> this guy's sure. a cool guy, but he's just kind of like really, um, an icon amongst, amongst like writers and poets. And he's kind of like the, okay. What's his famous poem? Don, Don Juan, right? I'm not familiar. I'm not. I think it's like Don Juan or something. But there's like this idea like of this Don Juan character who is like semi-biographically based on Lord Byron. And it's just like, it seems like someone who would be mythical and like makes all the ladies swoon and does this oh, and does okay. that. And like, you know, rides around from town to town. And like, we've seen this movie over and over again, right? We've seen like Owen Wilson play characters like this mm-hmm. and all yeah. these different like whatever. Like the noble whoever. Right, right. right. So just like, he's just kind of kind of lived that life and he somehow, and it's, it's kind of like a noble scoundrel or something like that. Kind of like yeah. the giant Depp, Jack yeah. Sparrow yeah. character as yeah. well. Where it's like totally. somehow he's always seducing somebody into getting what he wants. Oh my and gosh. as a watcher or a reader or whatever, we love it. But obviously if you know that person in real life, it's like you're gonna hate him. But oh he's somehow he's like ten million dollars in debt, but he still somehow lives like in a mansion or it's like right. oh he's like I don't know, <laughs> like yeah. with like all these wealthy people because he's just such a charmer. And I just think, it's not that I think he's a good person, but he's an amazing poet and it's just like an amazing life. Like It's like, how did this guy exist? That's so funny because, like to hear your perspective because my perspective of him only came from my research for this cast, really. I hadn't necessarily heard, I maybe read in passing, but as I'm sure you guys have learned by now, I'm not the greatest with like putting names to poems. So if I saw one of his poems, I might say, oh, I absolutely recognize that, but I might not remember his name. And in my reading, I figured out that, in fact, he was so known for his immorality (laughs) that uh, Ada Lovelace's mom was so concerned about it. And throughout Ada's life, uh, went out of her way to try to ensure that her morality stayed and was... Uh, willing to go to crazy lengths, it sounds, to check in on that aspect of her life because mm-hmm. she wasn't super present in Ana's uh, upbringing, as it sounds. I think a grandma or something took care of her. I don't know if you guys can can speak to that more, but fascinating that dad was out. He was busy uh, until <laughs> until she was about seven or eight when he passed away, and mom was so concerned that she might become some immoral monstrous version of dad that she too was out of the picture which honest to god just sounds like a 20th century saga because i'm i mean i'm in this world right now where my parents are recently divorced and it's not that bad but like i was surprised by the familial drama that i learned Mm -hmm. reading about this icon ada lovelace i'm not sure i think i'm pretty sure her mother was in the picture and correct me if i'm sung but not a ton Maybe not a time. Yeah, I don't remember um, very specifically if how involved her mother was or not. I know she she was like one of the main reasons why Ada was pushed into science and math. To your yeah. point, to both your points, really, like she 
uh, Ada's mother really had a strong disdain for Lord Byron as in his mercurial nature. Yeah. Which, like, obviously a lot of people romanticize him because he's this amazing wordsmith and this charmer and he's handsome. But that type of, like, the same thing that made him, like, a great poet and, like, charmer was also the mercurial, like, crazy, wild nature. Like, he can't be right. tied right. down, which made him a really bad probably like slightly emotional <laughs> emotionally abusive husband right yeah. which i'm sure she's just kind of like i'm sure like everybody who's held a cultural relationship to him was just like really insecure really fearing that he's gonna abandon them and they'd be right because that is kind of how his relationships went yeah um he was just this kind of you know escapator and rolling stone kind of living a rock star lifestyle back back right. in the Industrial yeah. Revolution. Yeah. yeah. So, according to Wikipedia, Lovelace did not have a close relationship with her mother, and like I like I said, she was often left in the care of her maternal grandmother. So, okay. it, while she was involved in her life, uh, she was not overtly involved, and, and while she also pushed her into math and science, mm-hmm. not to the extent that you might expect depending on what story you hear what i also saw that was fascinating is that she frequently wrote she meaning uh she meaning ada's mom wrote letters to the grandmother to show maternal affection but then had a cover letter to her letter saying like yo mom like i'm not that interested in this child but please keep these letters for record of maternal affection because in that state of time or in that period of time it was common for more common for men maybe to have the um ability to to keep their child if they wanted oh really that's fascinating i had no idea yeah so that's a bit of what i read into that that crazy familial story i think another thing that's probably uh, playing a role too is so I know that so Ada had a quite a privileged upbringing and I can't remember exactly her mother's background but one thing with wealth comes servants and parents tend to stay occupied with their their business and then uh, yeah I mean she ha- I think had a number of tutors uh, oh, yeah, and sure. and so a lot of her time was occupied uh, being cultivated by these tutors into the the math star that she was uh but yeah i'm, I'm sure that kind of le- led to some distance in in her relationship with her mother but oh go ahead while we're thinking about tutoring and math star i would love to just explain a little bit to to any listeners especially any women and especially anyone tied to young kids and specifically young girls that math doesn't come supernaturally to the brain and most all research that's out there shows that literally time spent on math show uh, will result in better math capabilities so i tutor some some young ladies in math and i just want to shout that out is that uh, there's great evidence showing that just time spent in math and practicing those mm-hmm. skills and cultivating those skills will create um, a better mathematician. So for Ada Lovelace and maybe for any young aspiring girls who are wanting to get better at math or like me are feeling not so good at math and are wanting to practice more, I think that's a, a great moment to to highlight our piece of Ada's story. Yeah. I think I think too on that note it, it reminds me of uh I believe it was in the the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell where he, he looked at 
the mathematical abilities of different cultures and in the u.s in particular compared to the japanese uh when presented with a puzzle uh that was challenging to figure out the american students were more uh would more rapidly give up on the puzzle when they weren't able to solve it and that was hypothesized as one of these uh reasons for the the comparative lack of mathematical abilities between Americans in particular is just like this unwillingness to endure confusion. And so like, and just enduring the confusion, uh, and the willingness to do so, uh, tends to lead to better math abilities. So don't be afraid to fail. Uh, just try a lot of different approaches and one might work. Huh. I wonder if that is part of just the, if that's part of a difference in our, the way that our culture sees math with perhaps we have a fixed mentality, like you're good at math or you're not good at math, which I think is really common in the United States. Mm -hmm. But what I don't know as much about would be the Japanese culture. Is that you said Japanese, right? Yeah, it was Where Japanese, yeah. They maybe, maybe they just have an idea surrounding math that it's just like any... Like, it's just like a, um, like laying bricks. It's just like the harder you work, the more you go at it. Like, eventually mm -hmm. you're going to build that wall or whatever, that mausoleum. So I wonder how... I wonder how they teach that, um, or if that's what they teach, or why they persevere so much with math, mathematics specifically. It's really yeah, interesting. it is really interesting. And something that I would I would suggest our our listeners look into is uh, the cultural differences of mathematical abilities, because there's all sorts of different factors that play a role. Uh, one other is in Chinese, the language itself. It seems that the language is more. Uh, or just the language is more conducive to counting and keeping track of numbers mm. and thus addition and subtraction. So they tend to be better at operations at a younger age. Yeah, um, that makes a sense. But yeah, definitely worth looking into. Uh, to get back on Ada Lovelace though, so she got math and science drilled into her. Mm -hmm. At the age of 13, she designed a mechanical bird. Uh, and then at 17, she went to Charles Babbage's uh, dinner party where he unveiled the difference maker. Do either of you guys want to touch on the difference maker? <laughs> I don't really, but no. I do want to just say... Babbage. I do want to just say that the first time I heard of Ada Lovelace, Lovelace's story and then, like, the difference makers in a documentary, and I was super just disenfranchised it did not seem that cool it's like this big hunk of machinery it's not sexy like apple makes all their stuff it's not like i was just like wow this is this is the big deal are you serious this is a huge like chunky glommy looking machine and of course i come to learn the significance of it and i'm hoping aiden can talk more about that but like at first glance it, I was amazed that this was the first, like, inspiration of a potential computer program. It was baffling mm -hmm. to me that this big, just kind of ugly, monstrous machine that I think just was like a glorified calculator at the time it, it was kind of the beginnings, the seed that was planted in uh, Ms. Lovelace. So I'll, I'll let you take it from there, Aiden, yeah. but I just wanted to share that initial impression. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. So that was one of the... So we... So Lauren and I had watched, there's a, an Ada Lovelace documentary that we'll link in the show notes. 
Uh, and I'm not sure, Dre, did you watch the same one or? No, I didn't watch any documentary. Okay. Um, well, so in it, they talk about how she went to this dinner party. Uh, she was 17 at the time, but she just got enamored with this machine because yeah. she started to see the potential for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the machine, like Lauren says, it looks, it's giant and clunky, but it was so cutting edge at the time because it could solve mathematical equations using uh, addition and subtraction mm-hmm. uh, is kind of my like basic understanding of it. And right. a crank, yeah. So like. it was, you could crank, you could set a few settings mm-hmm. and then like there was a mechanical crank and it could solve these equations. Uh, and it was groundbreaking at the time because then uh, there were, so the, the term computer was a job title. Mm. So peop- they, to solve a lot of these uh, hard to solve equations, they would hire teams of, of math geeks, uh, computers or people to, uh, to solve all of these equations by hand. Uh, and so it was kind of the first step into automating that kind of that process. Uh, and Ada looked ahead of her time and, and saw the potential of it and got really involved uh, with Charles Babbage in, in inventing and, and things of that sort. Uh, but yeah. You may want to clarify really involved because today that could mean <laughs> quite a few different things. Um, I, from my understanding, it was a, a mentor-mentee relationship where uh, he was this big inventor. I'm not exactly sure how mm-hmm. the relationship formed. I'm not sure if either of you guys uh, became aware of that, if she wrote a letter or, or whatever it was, but, um, but she started uh, working with him on some of his different projects Mm -hmm. and i was reading i don't know if it's a a book series or a tv series but i think there was a series that was made um that very much romanticized that relationship Mm. just to of course right create drama or whatever but it in the historical records it shows that they had a just a professional relationship so i just wanted to clarify though because i think people here involved in like mm-hmm. they're like oh my gosh they were involved right. older you know? man younger woman right. too um, just kind of like yeah but yeah that was my understanding of it too it was like mm-hmm. strictly like a mentorship like they both love science mm-hmm. he saw like how great of a mind she was and yeah how I mean, she would one day surpass her teacher yeah i think in my understanding of both some of the letters and this initial meeting is that he was just taken by her uh brain power mm-hmm. right like he was just i mean i think amazed by her view to see something different or the future with this basic uh analytical engine yeah yeah to a lot of your guys points in how you guys are describing um these these engines these machines these primitive computers I think like I'm kind of with you with there's a lot of times and I'm not, I'm saying like I agree with how you kind of viewed the when you the machine when you saw it not saying like this is why you viewed it like this but sometimes for me when I see some of these old kind of machines or breakthroughs or like equations like I think a lot of it just kind of it's kind of over my head where I'm just like it seems so simple and so like dumb or yeah. something like that I just don't really get it like for example like so if I was a love like if I was at that party and I see it. I would have just been like, oh yeah, like okay, like whatever that thing is, like whether <laughs> like, I'm gonna age, she's such a, and I and I don't know if we've 
like clarify this enough to our listeners, but it's like this is one of the greatest minds to ever live. Like she's brilliant, and not only like she's in, she inherited her analytical mathematical side from her mother, and also the poetic side from her father. And later on in life, or during her life, she credited the marriage of poetry and mathematics and the sciences um, as one of the reasons why she was able to make these great breakthroughs. And to the point of like kind of her seeing this machine and understanding what this could be more than what it was. Mm-hmm. There's a quote by someone else who was at the party, one of her tutor's wives that said, when most of the guests looked on with the expression that the savages show on seeing a looking glass, Miss Byron, young as she was, understood its working and saw the great beauty of the invention. So where I was like, I'm just looking at this clunky yeah. machine, like Ayla Lovelace is out here just like seeing the future and seeing what it could be and seeing like how that's going to turn into this MacBook. Yeah, at, <laughs> at, at age at age seventeen, at seventeen, uh, which is wild to say. So I just also want to uh, say to our listeners: so we're recording this podcast in Minnesota, and I had no idea this existed in Minnesota. But I was uh, I'm starting grad school at the University of Minnesota, and I was biking to the library the other day, mm-hmm. and I came across the Charles Babbage Institute which is housed at the University of Minnesota. So Fascinating. if you're wanting to learn more about Ada Lovelace, they've got plenty of archives, archives there uh, that you can request more information on. Um, but yeah, it was just funny. I was just biking around and we had already decided to do this podcast and then I ran into the Charles Babbage Institute mm-hmm. on my bike. Uh, yeah, so I think we've but, started to touch some on her significance as both a person, as a brilliant mind, also her significance in mathematics. I think the most telling piece of information that I learned for me to really understand the gravitas of her mathematical and computer programming abilities, and I don't want to necessarily say that like she knew how to get from A to B because it seems that history might disagree on that specific piece, but that at the end of the day, when we saw a calculator, she saw something that could create symphony and create music. And uh, that made a lot of sense to me as a musician because there are people who see a piano and see, I mean, keys that strike and make notes. And when I see a piano, I see majors and minors and melodic scales and I see from like the beginning to the end and I see with like the ability to hear as I see and like move my fingers as I hear and as I see and create things from my mind and that understanding I think it was a quote I saw somewhere but that understanding was the most um had the most gravity for me to understand like you said this window of her mind that opened up into kind of the future that was just what resonated for me i think so on both of your points as far as crediting her understanding of poetry and her ability to then see forward into the future uh so charles babbage there yeah there's a quote from the documentary where babbage saw numbers lovelace saw music and so in her uh, in her writings she described the potential of these machines uh and to elaborate too so the difference maker was developed to solve one specific problem but then uh, Babbage and her started working on uh, his concept of an analytical engine and the idea of that was more general purpose so it had a set of rules very similar to what our computers use today 
where there are if else statements, uh, which yeah, I could elaborate on, but I, I won't here. I'll let you guys do your do your common science research. But uh, starting to get into the realm of uh, using a computer in Babbage's eyes to solve more different mathematical equations, but in Lovelace's eyes to start to use them as a tool for creative expression. And I think now looking at Spotify and all these other different uh, apps out there, it's in hindsight, it's very easy to, to see that potential, but to think that Lovelace a hundred years, even before Alan Turing uh, and his contributions to computer science could see this is quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I, yeah. I mean I completely agree. What I was also fascinated by, though, I, I mean I started my research with this documentary, which just upheld Ada Lovelace to be this absolutely exquisite mind, and I think and genius, and I think there is a ton of truth to that. But as my research went on, I also learned that there are other people who uh, disagree with her being one of the first computer programmers, and I was a bit surprised by by the controversy that that there would be such differing views um but some biographers computer scientists and historians of computing claim claim completely otherwise uh and in fact this is one quote that i that i pulled from wikipedia that i thought was just profound it said all but one of her programs cited in her notes had been prepared by Babbage from three to seven years earlier. The exception was prepared by Babbage for her, although she did detect a bug in it. Not only is there no evidence that Ada ever prepared a program for the analytical engine, but her correspondence with Babbage shows that she did not have the knowledge to do so. So I was surprised to find a claim that strong about this controversy. Yeah. And I went on to do some reading and digging and ended up finding a more lengthy article written uh, and published in like a scientific journal about women in math and science and computer programming being like repeatedly uh, ignored and like having their contributions tucked away and like undermined. So I that made me reinvigorated in her story a little bit more because I, I resonate with that in some ways as a woman in science. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that pointing to the controversy is important, and I think that it'll be good to do, do your research and, and try to figure out what uh, makes the most sense in your eyes. But I think that... So one one aspect I do see as far as maybe why we might so romanticize her or why this documentary might have so upheld her as this uh, genius and all these things uh, is that uh, she died so early. So she died at 36 uh, and uh, ended up kind of drifting into obscurity after her relationship with Charles or her mentor-mentee relationship with Babbage kind of started to deteriorate and and so like I think that we do have we do tend to have this bias towards the the young genius and trying to like romanticize that uh and I'm I'm wondering if you guys see that or if you guys have other thoughts on the the reasons why we might 
uphold her or why we might uh, not. I think in my research, I saw that the controversy was pointed toward some of the correspondence records, specifically some of her correspondence with Augustus de Morgan, I guess, have been redated several times throughout uh, the historical record of Ada Lovelace's life. And I, I understand then, of course, that there would be controversy if, if it looks like she's just learning some math concept through correspondence seven years after some other thing was supposed. It would make sense then that uh, people would question now. And I hope that we can continue to rectify the issue because this is from the abstract of the article uh, that I wrote read about... Um, a simple solution to a lengthy controversy to Lovelace, and it says, uh, despite this correction of the academic letter, letter record, excuse me, of her mathematical abilities in these correspondence, the error persists in popular depictions of her work, undermining Lovelace herself and women in general. More scholarly examinations of historical women in STEM would enrich our understanding of their contributions and bolster their positions as role models. So, I mean, as much as I think we want to romanticize the young genius, I also think there's a huge desire to undermine, like, women in STEM. And I don't know where that comes from, per se, but it seems, I mean, of course, this is my own common science research, but it seems that that is partly where maybe some of the controversy comes from. This misstating of letters, of course, but I think there are then some egos involved. Speculation, mostly. But, like, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I had heard the controversy, but I didn't. I guess I didn't hear or read it specifically into it like you did, because uh, some of that that you read didn't sound familiar. And I didn't, like you said, I didn't know that it was like so substantiated. Whether that substantiation was um, fake or not, like mm-hmm. whether they're being manipulative with the numbers or whatever they were doing. Right. But uh, yeah, I had definitely come away thinking that the controversy was larger like she was like we can agree that she probably could be considered like the first programmer or whatever like yeah. or whatever sort of accolades or praise that we've um showered her with she deserves mm-hmm. and I, I mean i don't know honestly but one of the things that makes me think that she does deserve it or that perhaps like this is kind of just some sort of way to bury women and stem and all that stuff is because Charles Babbage was like crazy fond of her and he was a great mind and he was the creator of the difference machine he was the co-creator of the analytical engine and he constantly praised her and I didn't remember seeing anything where I know that they did have a falling out and part of that was because as they were trying to get some of their creations out there I think the analytical engine might have been the main one like Charles Babbage was really bad with politicians he was really bad like advocating and marketing Mm -hmm. the stuff and he not const- well spoken yeah he constantly butted heads with them like would like um like call them names like slander them yeah. and stuff like that and maybe not slander but just like talk like talk to them like disparagingly and so ada was like at one point he read a letter she wrote to him or asked him like hey like let me take this over so that we can get this funding and get what we need to do to get this out and he was just like no like we're not doing that blah blah and i think that was that was like a key part in how they kind of start to not see eye to eye and like most mentor mentee relationships they kind of start going the different directions but he i don't remember ever reading anything where he was like hey at a love place doesn't deserve these act like she didn't do this she didn't do that right um and i feel like he would be the main guy who would say yeah that if it were true and i think beyond that too 
Like, I, I, from my understanding, and you guys can correct me or not, uh, but that Alan Turing was quite, uh, he admired her work quite mm-hmm. substantially, and Alan Turing, inventor of the Turing test, yeah. uh, modern computing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, have, to have somebody like that uh, be, be uh, uh, uphold her work in such high esteem, uh, similarly, I think, would point more to the, the undermining of the, the female role in science. But yeah, yeah, I think too, it speaks some to like a mentee-mentor relationship in science in general, where at any point in time, a mentee might posit something that's brilliant and maybe they don't know how to write the program to get it from A to B or A to C. But sometimes it's the vision that's needed to like kick the mathematicians in the pants a little to get them to like think beyond the math to create these abstract connections. And so I think too, maybe that's where some of that uh, controversy can come to where some people might say like, oh, Ada Lovelace never could have written that program, right? But I think there's a difference between like pounding it out and knowing the ones and zeros and then Steve relating Jobs like, could have never made the MacBook without Wozniak. Yeah. Right. And relating that vision. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and just like yeah, to like mentor mentee group, whatever, it's like you're always gonna be standing on the shoulders of giants. Like most every famous person that was famous for inventing this or doing that or innovating this, it's right. like well, how many people did they work with? How many people did they have in the lab? How many, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, even us here here on Common Science, I think of the many people who got my speaking abilities to where they are today. And, of course, I have lots of growth yet to come. And my science abilities, I mean, I'm standing on a lot of giants, a lot of people that I really look up to and respect and I think the best you can do is, yeah, show up and ask questions in the world for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's one challenging aspect of science is the idea of credit because in particular today there's a, a the publisher perish phenomenon mm, where yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're the more articles you're on and the more prestigious the journal, uh, the you're, you tend to be rewarded in terms of appointments at a university or whatever else. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just, it's kind of this fascinating, it's like how much credit is, or how much it, it's, it's a highly subjective process where, where people are like, uh, deciding when somebody should be an author on a scientific paper or not. Uh, but it, that's just something that it reminds me of too is, is this idea of credit is just kind of, I mean, it's inherent in humans, like wanting to get credit. I witnessed, I think it was, uh, who, uh, who, oh, so, uh, we were, we were at a funeral the other day and there were these two kids and one of them cleaned up the toys and then they both go up and the mom says, good job to both of the kids for cleaning up the toys and the little girl pipes up and says but but i did all the work and and so the mom is like oh yeah you'll get credit where credit's due like oh good job and like you should have done 
more on on your part uh to the to the little boy but it was just funny like even to this young age seeing the uh the desire to to get credit but it it also Mm -hmm. seems quite arbitrary when you're talking about standing on the shoulders of giants uh anyways winding thought yeah no it's great (laughs) though but i think even specific to ada lovelace dying at a fairly young age i don't know that she ever received the praise due while she was living i mean i think many of her mentors of course encouraged her and praised her but i think we appreciate and understand her as a figure in history better now than we did when she was living and i i think that is true for a lot of scientific accomplishments for women especially uh in earlier periods of history but i'm appreciative that i now know more about her and her contributions to science and computer science specifically yeah it's it's funny to me that i mean it kind of reminds me of the george washington carver episode where because i don't i mean growing up i don't remember ever learning about ada lovelace and i'm starting to hear more of her uh, and I think that that is super awesome, but it, it is also just kind of like the uh, the history books, uh, it feels like, leaving out certain groups of people. Uh, and mm. But even in her lifetime, too, she also didn't end up getting the, the funding or credit. She ended up dying uh, in debt and with regrets at the age of 36. Uh, she had cancer of the womb. Uh, and yeah her yeah her just her extraordinary work was forgotten for like a good hundred years until alan turing rediscovered it but it it is just kind of uh yeah sad to me in my eyes that a hundred years ahead of like the father of modern computing there was already like the somebody who saw the potential of computing and and that that was lost so no, so def- early. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like when I while I was reading this, learning about Ada, preparing for this podcast, I was kind of like I kept thinking of Alan Turing and thinking about the movie Imitation Game and this and that, and like it was really hard for me to kind of um, reconcile the two ideas because I was like, how are these? Like it's kind of it's a very similar story, but just obviously on a different scale. Obviously, he stood on the shoulders of Ada Lovelace. But I was kind of like trying to think about these things, like how are these things so far apart? How have I heard of Alan Turing so many times in my life? Never really heard of Ada Lovelace, this and that. So to your point, yeah, I agree that um, part of it, like obviously she just being, I don't know, like overshadowed or like not and going back to the women of time in the history of that. Is my voice getting kind of weird? Is there something stuck in my throat? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> my throat, like I'm like I can hear myself. Like I sound weird, but um. <clears throat> Nothing funny about her dying about from cancer, but there's a fun fact about her about when she died. She died at age 36, and that is the exact same age that her father died. And we talked a bit about Laura Byron in the beginning of the cast. She, although she had kind of a long-term hatred for her mother for whatever reason, yeah. maybe her mother was too overbearing. Maybe it's because her mother hated her father, Lord Byron. Not not 100 sure why, where all the disdain came from. But she had a lifelong infatuation with her father, even though she never really knew him. She just knew who he was because he was super famous and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so she had this lifelong infatuation. She wanted to be with him. She wanted to know him. She wanted to be like him. It's part of the reason why, even though she had 
um, math and science drilled into her, she still was also a poet. She considered herself a poet. She attributed poetry as one of the reasons why she was able to make some of her breakthroughs. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting. And she was also buried next to Lord Byron and not her mother. Yeah. So kind of interesting how that, her story came full circle. And again, going back to like, if you thought of like, if Lord Byron would have been, if she would have been the child that Lord Byron wanted, that'd be like so poetic. It's like, you raised this kid, he, she is a, like a pretty much like a perfect um, combination, amalgamation of the mother's analytical mind and your mercurial poetic mind. And then she ends up dying at the same age as you yeah. for completely different causes because he died in a war. And then she gets buried now, buried alongside you. Yeah, it's a poetic. It's, 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 it's a poetic end of her, her story. Uh, but I mean, honestly, kind of the beginning as well uh, in terms of how her work was, uh, has been re-recognized and continues to gain more recognition. Uh, one quote by her that I think uh, is quite uh, demonstrative. Demonstrative? That's the word I'm looking for. Is if you can't give me poetry, can't you give me poetical science? And so she was very, very fascinated and wrapped up into this idea of poetical science and, and trying to, to see the human in the science and, mm-hmm. and blend the two. Uh, here's another quote that I'm curious what it evokes in the two of you mm-hmm. is religion to me is science and science is religion. I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Like at, for me as a as a common scientist and a Christian, um, and when I say Christian, I largely mean like a believer in God. And I think that nature and science and the natural order of things often points to something larger, something bigger more connectivity than we might ever have realized, uh, more intuitive, uh, like more intuitiveness. I'm not sure if it's quite the right word, but of the human body, of the way that, uh, ecosystems interact. And I think a lot of that we can show in science to the best of our abilities, but often nature had it figured out better for longer and like nature will prevail in the end, I think. And I think that those two pieces do really bring together uh, science and um, like God or science and something bigger. What about you, Dre? <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. That's interesting. I would have liked to have a conversation with her about that quote. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, I, like I've heard people, I've heard religious people say like, there's no such thing as secular, right? Because like, if there's a God and everything belongs to God, yeah. and I've, I've said <laughs> like everything is science, you know, it's just like, yeah. there's no such thing as anything outside of science. The science is life. Science is, if you're human, at least it's like you, you are a scientist if you're human and you're going to experience the world through a scientific lens to mm-hmm. one extent or another. Some like to be a little bit more scientific than that. I <laughs> like that I care for, but in general, it's like you, you experience, you get evidence, data, you get feedback, 
you adjust and you try and try again, right? It's just like it's the way we're born. So, in that sense, I mean, sure. Yeah, science <laughs> is religion. It's funny that you say that. Yeah, science is everything. I I think. Yeah, I, I mean, just to echo both of you, the seeing the interconnectedness, like her seeing the, the numbers and the music, mm-hmm. uh, and, and connecting the two, yeah, uh, through science, I think is just. In- remarkable and kind of uh i mean been a theme throughout our podcast as we've explored topics from uh ada lovelace george washington carver string theory i mean you you name it we've covered (laughs) we haven't covered it because there's infinitely many topics to cover but (laughs) we uh, did do the string theory episode so we we did do the string theory pretty much covered everything All the dimensions. <laughs> all the dimensions. Uh, yeah, theory of everything, all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, to me just a reminder of kind of this, yeah, remarkable life uh, and somebody who is so dedicated to mm-hmm. science and and figuring things out. Yeah, and I think too that you really can't ever know or comprehend the impact that your own life might have. And here's just one example of something that exists today because of Ada Lovelace. The article that I referenced earlier about women in STEM was written by a biased character for sure, but I would say biased in the right ways, uh, Sue Chairman Anderson, who's the founder of FindingAda.com, which aims to inspire and support women in science, technology, engineering, and math with three major projects, Ada Lovelace Day, an international celebration of women's achievements in STEM, the Finding Ada Conference, which is an online event covering careers, equality, and widening participation, and the Finding Ada Network, an online mentorship platform for women in STEM. So, I mean, just one example of how you might not ever know the impact you're having in your own life or you could have in your own life by just showing up and pursuing common science and asking questions in the world and engaging with the world whether it's through a lens of of science and we hope some common science or something else that you're passionate about but getting out and asking questions i think with that uh common scientists we're so glad you tuned in for this cast on ada lovelace i hope that you learned something about her life and maybe how you can think about uh, science and engineering in your own life and maybe a little bit too about your impact in the world and in the future and that's it for common science this week we're excited to see you next week hey common scientists hope you enjoyed the cast thanks for investing in common science we hope it brought as much value to you as it did to us to learn more smash the subscribe button and visit our website commonscientists.com where you can read our blog join our email newsletter, and follow us on social media. Finally, if you like what we have to say, you can absolutely support us on Patreon. We can always use more support. You can navigate there also from our website, commonscientists.com, common scientists with an S, so that we can continue cultivating a community of common scientists.